Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield. It's Tuesday, December 8th, week 15 of the college football season, the final week before conference championship weekend, and we've got a great show for you guys today. As always, I'm joined this evening with the usual cast, Lando, Matt, and our producer, Keys. We have some instant reactions to the new playoff rankings that just came out not even 20 minutes ago. But before we get down to business, how was y'all's weekend? Solid weekend, Wit. Solid weekend. Really didn't do much. It was actually, uh, I pulled one out of the Wit Barfield book. It was a really low-key weekend. Uh, been really busy the past few weekends. I went to Oxford twice in the past three weeks. This week, I just hung out at the house, got some stuff done around the house, like cleaned up, doing some adult stuff, and then uh, watched the Alabama game. And honestly, I realized this weekend that I am officially old now because 8 p.m. kickoffs are exhausting. Lando, how was your weekend, man? Yeah, my weekend was pretty uneventful. Had to work most of the weekend, so other than that, I did honestly absolutely nothing. And uh, Matt, if 8 p.m. kickoffs are bad for you, then how are you staying up to watch those 11 p.m. kickoffs that you're so fond of? Typically, I drink on Saturdays, and that's what, like, it's like that second burst of energy. It keeps me going. I don't realize what time it is. Uh, but this week, I did not drink. So, 8 p.m., and I was geezing out like like a, little, like a little old man. Like, come 1030, I'm like, God, I'm mighty. Let's just run the ball and end this game already. Man, if if you think you're old, then I'm older than you because drinking makes me more tired than, than not drinking. <laughs> Keys, how was your weekend? Well, I thought it was going to be a pretty boring weekend. Friday, I was actually exhausted. I pretty much just came home. Just Lando came over. We watched The Mandalorian like we do every week, and then I just crashed. And uh, Saturday morning, I woke up, and some of my friends were like, hey, come hang out with us in Statesboro. You know, we have an extra ticket to the game. And I was like, heck yeah. So I went down to Statesboro and went to the Georgia Southern versus Florida Atlantic game. That was a pretty good game. The Eagles came out on top. I was actually glad I got to go for a little bit. Yeah, I just had a solid weekend down in the borough. Probably one of the best weekends I've had in Statesboro in a while, actually. And I, I don't get to go back as much as I would like, but I had a great weekend down there. What about you, Wit? Yeah, so I stayed in Nashville this weekend, finally. And um, oh, it was it was nice. It was uh, kind of a mix in between just having a chill weekend and uh, going out and doing some stuff. Friday night, I came home. I had some buddies reach out to me. They're like, hey, we're drinking tonight. Come hang out. We're get the whole crew together. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm down. Came home, got got home from work probably around seven o'clock. Immediately fell asleep, so I did nothing. I napped. I napped all night Friday. I woke up at like two a.m. Saturday morning, just energized because I had slept all Friday night. Turned on the Mandalorian, watched that Saturday. Ended up going back to sleep, and then my buddy, uh, my buddy Curly came up and saw me. We hung out and drank some beer and watched some. Had a three screen setup going up in the apartment and had a good time. Went out to a new bar called Alley Taps down in. Uh, Printer's Alley over in Nashville with a couple of my friends here. And uh, pretty good weekend overall Sunday, just later on, watch some NFL. Yeah, that that place, I saw it on your Snapchat story. And I was like, that guy looks like he's in Diagon Alley in Harry Potter. That bar looked crazy, dude. Oh, uh, that's literally what it looks like. Like, you, like when the Uber dropped us off, which I don't know how I haven't been here yet, because it's like a historic area in Nashville. I mean, I've lived here for almost a year now. So you'd think I'd go to all the cool places, but. He literally dropped us off, and it, it wasn't even a road. Like, he was driving – like, looked like he was just driving on the sidewalk. I was like, what is this guy doing? And you see all these lights, and 
Uh, there was tons of people lined up um, outside of the bars, socially distanced, of course. And um, he let us off there and we went and got in line and I got to check out the scene. It was, it was, it looked really great. Um, it, I, I honestly looked like a little alleyway outside of Broadway. Um, but um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. You'll have to take us there next time we go up. Oh, for sure. We'll have to get a week, uh, Nashville weekend going on sometime soon. Maybe for the Music City Bowl coming up. ATK live from Nashville. I actually had thought about that. I was like, because there there was talk about my uh, my 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 school being in uh in the Music City Bowl, and I was like, wait a second, if I get tickets, I can get tickets. We're going to have a a Nash Vegas weekend with Wit. I am definitely down to go to Nashville again and hang out with good old Wit Barfield. Is the Music City Bowl SEC versus who is it? Big Ten. Um, I'm actually not sure. I actually think that this year they were, they were taking away the conference, uh, alignments just because everyone's eligible for a bowl. Um, but I, at one point I think it was SEC, ACC. Yeah, they took away, I think they took away the conference, uh, alliances just because of how many bowls have been canceled. I think there's been 11 bowls canceled so far. So since everybody's eligible for a bowl, why have conference alliances? Just whoever fits into the bowl, I guess ge- geographically is going to go to that bowl. I think that's how it's going to work. It makes sense. I mean, it, it also I think it'll make for better games in a lot of in a lot of ways for some of those uh, schools that are you, you'll get the occasional Tennessee Indiana that's a good game, but then you also get the the SEC blowouts occasionally and and Big Twelve blowouts occasionally. Uh, in those smaller bowl games where they end up getting paired up against an opponent. They're just record-wise, they're equivalent, but talent, they're not. You know, it's going to be really sad this year to see the Rose Bowl play without fans. Just because oh, it's, yeah. it's also a playoff game this year, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's going to be weird. Am, am I the only person that, that thinks the playoffs should be one thing in by itself and it shouldn't include the bowl games? I mean, I understand why they do it. I think it's a way of making the Bulls, quote unquote, stay relevant, even though they're not very relevant, if that makes any sense. Bulls like the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl that have had this pageantry in history, you try and keep them relevant by letting them be playoff games, I guess. You see, I, I, I disagree with that because I think that having the bowl games in the playoff makes them less relevant because teams who win that game can't celebrate that win. They can't celebrate that we we just won the Rose Bowl and then that's the end of our season. They win the game and then they look forward to the, the championship game uh, a couple of weeks later. So I think that they should just have the playoff just be by itself and then have the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, uh, the Chick-fil-A Bowl, have them be their own thing once again. So that way they can finally mean something instead of just being – another trophy because if you if you win the Rose Bowl and then you go and lose the the national championship then the, really the Rose Bowl means nothing at that point sounds like shots fired wit he's right though that's why i agree with him cuz like winning the Rose Bowl is as cool as it was and as a Georgia fan that's the only time i'm probably ever going to see at least for a long time see my team play in the Rose Bowl because it's always Big 10 versus Pac 12 but I'm also like with with Landon, like yeah, winning that game's awesome, and like it was cool to see the celebration and everything, and and I got a cool T-shirt out of it. But you know, we ended the season with a loss to Alabama in the national championship, so it's like, like who like it really didn't matter. Like it was cool to see, and it was a cool experience to watch. And if people and people that got to go to the game, I'm sure that was really awesome. But 
um, it would be a lot cooler if, you know, like, or it, I mean, it, it's just the same. It's just as important as playing up like a home and or a home, like number one team plays number four team. Number one team has the, is the home team or number two team has the home team against number three team. Like, you know what I'm saying? It, I definitely agree with Lando there. See, they also have the bowls cycling around in the playoff, but you're never going to have the Frisco bowl be a playoff game. So it kind of like, yeah, they're cycling around. It's like the top bowls get cycled in. But some, I mean, some of the bowls will never be important. And I think that kind of diminishes a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, I, I I know we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of this season about like expanding the playoff and stuff. I, I think if they do it, it would be really cool if they went to like a 16 team playoff and just every New Year's Six game was a playoff game. And they, and they keep the bowls because, you know, the corporate sponsorship and everything. But if they keep all of that there and, uh, you know, it makes the Rose Bowl and all that relevant. And, and even if you don't go to the Natty, it still feels better than being like, oh, well, you know, we won one game. Like, it, it, I don't know. It, to me, it would seem like it would be it'd make it a little bit more meaningful. All right. So this whole expand the playoff to 16 teams, whatever. This is not college basketball. This is a contact sport. You can't play you can't play twenty games in a season because people will get hurt. So expanding the playoff to sixteen games, uh, sixteen teams would essentially make teams have to cut down the regular season to like four games and then just go straight into playing the the, the into the playoffs. So having more than in my opinion, I, I think four teams is perfect, but having more than eight teams is absurd and un- unnecessary and it would cause teams to get injured because this is a contact sport it's not it's not basketball or or baseball where you can play multiple games in one week fcs figured it out d2 figured it out d3 figured it out it's time for fbs to to figure it out that's if they can do it i think the the hardest part when you get into this discussion about expanding the playoff like this is really when it comes down to like it would mean that SEC teams would eliminate some of those out of conference games against lesser opponents, where the lesser opponents get a lot of money for playing in those games, and it's a hard sell for them because it anybody would take a million dollars to go get their ass kicked by Alabama, they and they do it all the time. Same thing with Georgia, same thing with Oklahoma. I mean, they they they, they get this you know ULM to come come to them and and put a beat down on them and. They pay him a million dollars and say, here you go. Thanks for coming. And I think that would be where it would be harder to, to expand in that way because it is going to affect the games, the number of games they can play. So how many games do the do the FCS team teams play within a season, within their regular season? I'd have to go look it up, but I believe they play 10. So they just basically cut out two games, and then I, they don't have like a conference championship game. See, there we go. So you're already having to compromise the SEC championship game the Big 12 championship game, the Big 10 championship game to play in, in, in a 16-team playoff. So I don't think the SEC or the Big 10 or Big 12 are going to want to do that stuff just because of money reasons. No, but I think they could figure it out. I mean, they, you could probably still keep the, the championship game, and then that's an automatic bid, you know. I don't know. I, it just, just merely an idea. I'm trying to make bowl season stay relevant. I love the bowl games, but the playoff has really killed the excitement for the Fiesta Bowl if it's not a playoff game, even though it's a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't know about y'all, but I 
personally think that bowl games, like I know you guys are talking about a way to have bowl games be more exciting. And I get that. Like there's a lot of bowl games that you're just kind of like, if like when Georgia makes a sugar bowl nowadays, it's, it's more of a consolation prize than anything. Like for me, I enjoy bowl games. Like even some of the ones that really aren't like top level, like if it's just like Fresno state versus, versus Wyoming or whoever, like that's like, I mean, it's not the most fun thing in the world, but it's something nice to have on when you're opening Christmas presents on Christmas Eve or, or uh, just hanging out with family kind of over the holidays. It's, it's um, and especially if you if you bet money on it or if you do like a bowl pick them anything like that like that's something I've been doing for the past four years. It's made bowl season so much more exciting. I think that I'll, honestly that's part of the reason why they keep doing these bowl games and don't just get rid of them entirely is because not only does it give teams something to play for towards the end of the year, especially teams like you know like Georgia Southern where like that I mean that's what we play for every season is to make a bowl game. So you have that and then added, added on the betting factor, added on the money factor, the revenue factor that you get from these games. Um, I, I mean, I still think they're pretty relevant. Yeah, speaking of bowl games, how about the rankings that just came out? You know, really wasn't surprised by a lot that uh, came out over there. You know, Ohio State was still ahead of Texas A&M. Uh, Ohio State was at four even after having their last game of the season canceled against Michigan, uh, which – which uh, means Ohio State will finish the regular season 5-0, and um, meaning that they will not be able to go to the Big Ten championship unless the Big Ten changes their ruling, which uh, Lando actually asked last week. He was asking us if we thought that that was something they would do. And honestly, and last week I said, I don't know if they really would. This week I'm most positive that they will change that ruling because I, I think the Big Ten won't let Ohio State have any kind of opportunity not to go in. Even though, I mean, just for, based on how the rankings look tonight, I think Ohio State – I mean, I think the playoff committee has already proven that they will stick Ohio State in there, even at 5-0, and um, which, you know, in my opinion is a little eh, but I mean, it is what it is, and pretty easy to say that Ohio State's a top-four team, so I don't have too much of a problem with it. Yeah, I just can't help but feel bad for the players at Ohio State because now their season's cut short and they could potentially not even get into the the, the Final Four so, man, the Big Ten is really putting themselves and Ohio State in a in a bind here. They're really kind of screwing themselves over. Other than that, I, I like what the committee did this week. I think it looks good. Uh, Iowa State is at seven. Uh, that gives the Big 12 kind of a, an alleyway there to get into the, the, the championship four. Uh, that's if they beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, which should be a pretty good game. But um, other than that, I think it looks really good. Coastal Carolina moved up after beating BYU. Uh, BYU moved down to 18. Uh, I think that everything looks pretty good to me. How about you, Matt? Yeah, you know, I, Iowa State was the one that stuck out to me because they jumped Cincinnati. And I thought that that was huge in, in telling what the committee really thinks of Cincinnati as a contender because we've even talked about, and I, and even in our group message, and I know me and Wiz have been on the same page that if Ohio State somehow lost a game, or even if they were 5-0, and if Cincinnati won out, they would have that real conversation of Cincinnati versus Ohio State to get in that four spot. And I'm, I'm, I think that what they did tonight kind of eliminates that from being a possibility because they're saying that uh, you know a two-loss Iowa State is a better team than Cincinnati which I found that really interesting. 
that they that they put that in that in that way. And you know, Iowa State's played good football all year. You can't knock them for that at all. Uh, Matt Campbell has done a phenomenal job with that uh, Iowa State program, and um, you know, I, I think that the Big Twelve Championship is going to be an extremely exciting game to watch this year. Well, the Big 12 Championship game is always extremely exciting to watch every year. Did you watch the game last year? Uh, uh, last year, so I used to coach basketball. So uh, we all, every on those Saturdays, uh, we're normally in the getting in the run of our schedule. So I didn't get to watch the Big 12 Championship game last year. I think that Cincinnati was severely hurt by having their last two games of the season canceled. And I think the committee was showing um, by moving them down to eight and putting Iowa State in front of them, that Cincinnati is 100% out of the playoff. Um, Cincinnati was supposed to end the season going up against Temple, who's one and six, um, even though that really wouldn't have been um, like a game to add on to the resume or anything to really look at. It's, you know, it's another game. It's another win in the win. It's another uh, data point in the win column. Uh, that's That's a big deal with the way things are this season. Um, and then they were supposed to go up against Tulsa uh, this weekend for their last game of the year. Tulsa is number two team in the American Athletic Conference. They're number 24 in the country right now in the playoff rankings. Um, even though they're probably going to end up playing Tulsa, they actually are 100% going to end up playing Tulsa in the American Athletic Conference championship. Having those two wins over Tulsa, if, if that were to happen, would have been huge for Cincinnati. Um, and in their op- in their uh, bait to get into the college football playoff. But the fact that they didn't get those two games is really going to hurt them, and I, I think they're officially out now. Yeah, it really sucks for Cincinnati because they actually look really good over the course of the season. But I just think, like you said, man, you gotta you got to play those games, and you got to look convincing in those games. And I said this a couple weeks ago. I didn't think that they looked too convincing when they played uh, UCF. So uh, Cincinnati – you had a good season. You'll probably end up beating T- Tulsa, but Tulsa's pretty good. We'll see. Uh, I think Cincinnati will end up getting a bid for one of the uh, New Year's Six Bowls, and they'll come out and play really well against uh, one of these top teams out here. Yeah, sticking with the trend of uh, group of five teams, Lando, let's go ahead and talk about Coastal Carolina. You know, they got a big win against BYU this weekend. I think a lot of people were counting Coastal out in that game, too. In my opinion, I've kind of been talking about it a little bit. I thought, always thought BYU was pretty overrated based on the teams they were playing. Even though they were blowing them out and they were looking good doing it, they just, you know, if if you're not playing good teams, then anybody can look good. So what y'all think about that game? Yeah, wait, I got to give you a little bit of crap for that because you, you overreacted hard within the first 30 seconds uh, after BYU uh, scored that first touchdown and then it got called back. You, you were saying, oh, man, they look dominant on both sides of the ball. Uh, BYU was looking really good, and I told you... Oh, yeah, I was on the first drive. <laughs> yeah, and I told you, I don't know, man. Uh, it's just the first drive. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes, pump the brakes, and let's see how the game goes. And when Coastal Carolina drove uh, the ball on their second drive 97 yards and scored a convincing touchdown, I was like, BYU is in huge trouble. And, of course, as we all know, BYU lost 22-17, to and it just goes to show... First of all, you need time to prepare for teams. You need more than, I think they had, what, five days to prepare for Coastal Carolina? Uh, You need time to prepare, but at the end of the day, you still have to go out and play 
and play well and win. And for BYU, who whose offensive line and defensive line were so much bigger than Coastal Carolina, they got pushed around the entire game. That game was one at the line of scrimmage, and Coastal Carolina proved that they wanted it more and that they're a better football team. That game was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, the way that it ended was awesome. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina surprised me. Uh, I, I was... I kind of thought that BYU was going to come out and everyone was going to be saying at the end of it, well, now BYU only beat Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina has been kind of overvalued as this group of five team. But really what happened was was the opposite. Uh, Coastal Carolina proved that they are a legit, really good football team this year. And, they, I mean, it was Mormons versus Mullets. The mullets embraced that every minute of that, and you know I I, I love what Car- uh, Coastal Carolina is doing. I love the culture that they've got there. They've embraced this kind of uh, mantra that they like. They enjoy being the underdogs, and uh, you know w- what a game though. That that finish was insane. I thought BYU was going to pull it off there at the end. Yeah, it was it was a lot like the um, the tackle herd around the world in and uh, the Super Bowl in the early two thousands when uh. The Tennessee Titans just barely came up short against the St. Louis Rams. So, guys, after that win, you know, yes, Coastal Carolina has looked really, really good this year. Do you think there's a chance they can jump from 13 and somehow get above Cincinnati to be that group of five team in the New Year's Six? I don't think so because of the because – because unless, unless Tulsa beats Cincinnati – then they've got a chance. But if if Cincinnati beats Tulsa, Tulsa's a pretty good team. They're, they're, they're pretty de- they, they've proven that they're a decent team this year. So if Tulsa beats Cincinnati, no shot. If Cincinnati loses to Tulsa, I think Coastal Carolina jumps into that conversation for being a group of five New Year's Six. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that, Matt. The only way Coastal Carolina jumps Cincinnati is if they if uh, Cincinnati loses to, t- uh, to Tulsa. So uh, I would personally like to see Cincinnati versus Coastal Carolina. I think that would be an awesome game to watch. I think it would too. And honestly, in a year like this, why are why are we not letting games like that happen or pushing for games like that to happen? Because I mean, we've had we're gonna have weeks in between um, the ball season and the conference championship weeks where there's gonna be teams playing and other teams not playing. If Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati both win their conference championships. I would love to see that game to be a play-in into the New Year Six, just like you were saying. It, I think it would be awesome. I think it's something that honestly could be done. As you're seeing, like teams are putting together games at the last minute this year. I don't know. I don't know who's in charge of making that happen, but we're calling you out right now. Make it happen. I think to an extent, some of these teams that have cancellations have a chance to kind of write their own destiny just a little bit. Um, like Coastal Carolina and uh, Coastal Carolina and BYU basically just looked at each other and said, "Look, we're both, you know, we're both in the top twenty. We're thirteen and eighteen. We're not going to get into the top ten just by playing our regular records. We're going to have to do something, switch it up. So by playing each other, you know, scheduling each other, they're they're basically setting up a scenario for themselves to to be viewed as a better football team by the college football playoff committee." So if more teams need to try to schedule those off weeks or the weeks where they get cancellations, just throw somebody good in there just so you can actually get like a look. 
Speaking of, yeah, I agree with that, Keys. I think um, we definitely could have used more of that this year too. From the from the beginning of when the Big Ten started playing football in the Pac-12, if we would have had this rule where you could schedule teams at the last minute, it would have been it would have been awesome. I think that you would have seen a lot more teams take advantage of it. Um, this week, I think there's going to be some teams that will take advantage of it. I think Texas A&M is a team that really needs to add one more game to that resume, even if it's somebody that's not great. No, they were supposed to play Ole Miss this weekend. I think a win over Ole Miss would have been huge. Um, if they were able to go in there and blow out Ole Miss and look really good doing it, it would have helped them in their um, in their argument to get into the playoff over um, Ohio State, who's most likely going to finish 5-0 and and not get, be into the Big Ten Championship. Um, I, I know they have one more game against Tennessee, and, and you know if they blow out Tennessee, that's great. But being blowing out Tennessee is kind of just becoming a weekly thing for anybody who plays them now. So I don't think that's really going to help them as much as uh, playing another team would have. You know, I was I, one game that I think that the, the media has kind of jumped on that would be awesome to see is Texas A&M Ohio State. You know that it, that would be an awesome opportunity. Winner, you're in. And and that gives Ohio State that sixth game that they need. It gives them an opportunity to play the second best SEC West team, probably the third best team in the SEC. Well, I, I don't even know if I'd put them ahead of Georgia the way they've been playing recently. But, you know, one of the top four teams in the SEC right now. And and that would solidify Ohio State's fourth place spot there in in, in the college football playoff, and now every no one can say, oh, well, you went 5-0 and against a terrible Big Ten schedule. Yeah, I would love to see Texas A&M play Ohio State, and that would be a great game to watch as well because, you know, I personally don't trust Ohio State's defense, and I don't trust Texas A&M's offense, so they both have issues on, on their respective sides of the ball, so I think that would be, make for a great matchup, and it would essentially make for the play-in game for that four spot. Yeah, that would be awesome to see. The only thing that I think will hold that back from happening is the fact that Ohio State does not need that game to make the playoff. And then the committee has already said that. They've already said, um, even if they haven't said it with words, they've said it with where they're keeping them at number four, even with playing half the games as everyone else who's up in the top. They've said a 5-0 and Ohio State is good enough to be in the playoff, even, even when there's a team who's 7-1, and one, Probably going to finish the season eight and one. Um, would have finished the season nine and one if they would have played Ole Miss today. A team like A and M. So I, I don't think Ohio State is going to go for that game because of that reason. But man, it would be really awesome to see that game be played and winner makes the playoff. That'd be that'd be really cool. You've got mail. Mail time. And with that, we will go ahead and move into the mailbag. Um, our first question is from at Campbell Watt K. And his question is, would Coastal Carolina have a shot at beating UGA head-to-head? What do y'all think? Hell no. In my opinion, would they have a shot? Yeah, they'd have a shot. I think Coastal is good enough to sneak a win against, honestly, anybody this year. They're a good team, uh, but I think nine times out of ten, Georgia's going to win this game by at least three possessions. Um, we've seen years before where the Sun Belt, like Sun Belt has had good teams, like App State or Arkansas State, who have looked really good um, against the teams they play in their in – their, um, teams they they play in their conference and some of the smaller power five teams that they schedule like like north carolina or south carolina but when they go up against the big dogs like clemson oklahoma georgia florida teams like that 
it's very, very rare you see them squeak out a win, even if they're playing really, really good football. So, um, in my opinion, no. Coastal Carolina would, would definitely not beat Georgia if they played this year. Coastal Carolina loses that game and it ain't even close. Amen to that, brother. Yep. I think we're all in agreement on that one. Um, our next question is from at Daniel underscore Connors 58. And his question is, what's your take on Coastal's defense taking free shots at Zach Wilson after the interception? Personally, I love it. Okay, so uh, they did not take free shots at Zach Wilson. He threw an interception. They waited until the ball was caught, and then they started to block. The quarterback is is fair game at that point. He is he is he could potentially make the tackle. So if he's just going to stand there on on the field like a, like a bump in the log, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to get put into the into the turf pretty much. So. If he doesn't want that to happen, then go play football. You're on the field to play football. I will say they weren't free shots. Yeah, he Lando's right. It was part of the play. But, man, did they sell that way over the roof. It was ridiculous. They were just pancaking him over and over into the ground, just not letting up at all, no mercy. It wasn't a free shot, but they definitely got all of that. Here's my stance on it. Like, it's it, – it wasn't dirty – but if that's your quarterback, you're pissed off. I mean, and, 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 and I totally understand why, why the head coach for BYU was livid. And I, and I, and I would have been too. And any head coach would be if that was their quarterback out there. But that also is a testament to Coastal Carolina's defense mentality. Of, We're not going to let you come in here and push us around. We're setting the tone here. This is our, this is our home turf. Welcome, welcome to the welcome to the southeast, baby. And and you know, I, if it's my team doing it, I love it. If it's my team getting it done to them, I hate it. And, and I think we everyone would be would feel that way uh, across the board. It's it's a football play, but it, it, you hate it if it's your guy. I mean, honestly, it was a dirty hit. It was definitely a dirty hit. It was legal, but it was dirty for sure. Um, but in my opinion, you know. Sometimes you just got to do stuff like that to get in the head of the of the team you're playing. Um, I mean, if you don't do stuff like that, you're if if you aren't taking advantage of another team and getting in their heads, they're probably doing it to you, which could end up causing you to lose the game. But when you're a team like Coastal Carolina who isn't really getting a lot of national attention, even though they've been one of the best group of five teams in the country, you have to do something to make a statement. And even though like I wasn't a huge fan of them. You know, kind of just kept jumping on him and pancaking him after making the block, the legal block. Um, I mean, I, I definitely understand why they do it. And um, can't say I'm a fan, but I can't say that I hate it. Yeah. So that that type of stuff happens to running backs, offensive linemen and receivers all game long, all game long. So the quarterback after an interception who the quarterback can make a tackle is no different. I know we want to protect our quarterbacks because they're valuable to the game, but at some point, you're a football player, so play football and, and stop being soft, pretty much. That's my opinion on it. But like Matt said, it, it, it's not my quarterback, so I guess if it was my quarterback, I would feel much different than the way I do now. I mean, it honestly reminds me a lot of the uh, UCF player Joey Connors taking that hit on Joe Burrow uh, back in the Fiesta Bowl in 2018. It's like, I mean, that was a dirty hit too, but if you're a team like UCF, it's, it's a legal block. You have to do something to get in LSU's heads because LSU is the 
big national powerhouse and UCF is just the small undefeated group of five team that no one really cares about. And like people don't talk about and people disrespect every single, like you're in and you're out. So um, I definitely get it. And, but like, if you're the quarterback, be tougher, like take the hit, like, like Lando said, running backs, wide receivers, they take those hits all the time. If I was Joey Connors in that game, I was taking that hit too. I mean, you're running back, your guys running the ball. You're not thinking, oh, is that guy's angle a little bit slight? You know, could he catch him? I don't know. I see a guy running at my guy. I'm setting a block. And yeah, you could say it was blindside, but dude wasn't looking. So, I mean, I would have done it too. Shout out Joey Connors. Another one that I thought of whenever I saw it was, which went probably, and Keys, you probably remember this, Aaron Murray getting blown up in the 2012 SEC Championship after he threw a pick. That was and a cheap shot. On- <laughs> it was. It, that was that was a shot. I thought Aaron Murray died, and he played the whole game. I remember him posting on Instagram, but for some reason, I remember he posted that on Instagram afterwards, just like a screenshot of his face right before he got hit. Yeah, I I, I, I recall that as well. Yep, I do too. But uh, we'll move on to the next question. The next one is from at Ted seventeen. Who would win if Georgia Southern and LSU faced off this year? What do y'all think? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, um, uh, man, that's a that's a really good question. LSU's bad this year, but they're still an SEC football team, so I would lean more towards LSU winning that game. But definitely, Georgia Southern would have a better chance of winning that game than they did last year. So it'd be a close game. It'd be it'd be a closer game. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um. I think it depends on what point of the season they're playing LSU. Earlier in the year, LSU didn't have as many opt-outs. They were still more potent on offense than they are now. Um, I I don't think Georgia Southern would win because, I mean, LSU beat Arkansas just a couple weeks ago, and Arkansas has shown that they're a decent team this year. They're not, you know, a walk in the park like they were last year. So I would still take LSU over Georgia Southern this year because – even Georgia Southern, I mean, Georgia Southern struggled against Campbell. Granted, we know that they were out 33 players. They haven't really been impressive in some of their games. And then they've, then they've won games like this past weekend against FAU when we thought they, they probably were going to struggle a little bit. But, you know, uh, I'd have to go LSU there. They're still a, a top-tier D1 SEC team, at least in program and brain minds. Uh Depth-wise, they're going to be a little deeper than Southern. For me, it depends on who's in of the players who are opted out and who's in from the players that are healthy or who who have been hurt for a lot of the season. Because, you know, like for Georgia Southern right now, Shai Wirtz is hurt. Uh, Wesley Kennedy is suspended. J.D. King is hurt. Those are Georgia Southern's three best players, at least on offense. So if those guys aren't there, I don't think Georgia Southern – like I I couldn't believe – honestly, I know I picked him, but I couldn't believe Georgia Southern beat FAU this weekend with Justin Tomlin playing quarterback. I, I've never seen Georgia – I haven't seen Georgia Southern win a game without Shy Wirtz playing quarterback in, in who knows how long, probably about three years. It's since Shy Wirtz has been there, at least. Justin Tomlin's been awful. But, you know, he got the win this weekend. But – and then if LSU is the team they are right now where they don't have Miles Brennan, they don't have Terrence Marshall, um, they have a lot of guys who have opted out from – because of how they've been playing this year. And um, they have a couple guys that have been injured. If it's that team versus a fully healthy, full-strength Georgia Southern team, I think I'd pick Georgia Southern because I think 
LSU's defense is that bad. And I don't think that with TJ Finley or uh, the other freshman whose name is escaping me right now, Max Johnson, without or without or with Max Johnson playing quarterback, I don't think their offense is going to score enough points to beat a team like Georgia Southern. So it really would just depend on who's playing in the game. Full strength versus full strength, probably take LSU. And on to the next question. Next question is from at Kissler underscore 106. His question is, with the Big 12 having 10 teams, what are two schools you could or would like to add? Personally, he thinks Tulane in the New Orleans market and maybe Houston, BYU, uh, Louisiana, or Cincinnati would be good teams. Uh, yeah, the only one of those teams, in my opinion, would make sense. That would be Houston, just because they're in Texas. So they're kind of in that region. I know West Virginia is the outlier of that Big 12. But um, Houston, in my opinion, would make the best sense. But personally, the Big 10 has been, I mean, the Big 12 has been with, uh, with 10 teams for a long time now. It's been a while since they've had actually 12 teams. So I don't really see the Big 12 adding any more teams unless they're really going to bring in some 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 money. I could see I could see a team like Houston. Um, I don't know if Houston would want to be in the same conference as Texas, but I could see Houston doing make, making that type of move. Um, I actually agree with the, the the guy that sent this in. I think Tulane would be a good market to get into for the Big Twelve. Um, I, I feel like Tulane's got the potential to be a a decent school. They just need a little bit more publicity and a little bit more money. Um, the the New Orleans market. Uh, would be an awesome one to get into if you're the Big 12. Um, you know, because right now that's an SEC-only market. Tulane's not really doing much um, outside of, of their fan base. But I think that the Big 12 could benefit from adding a team like Tulane and a Houston. Yeah, see, I've been see, I've been saying since uh, Case Keenan was competing for Heisman trophies, Houston needs to be in the Big 12. They're in Texas they're a pretty big name school for a group of five team, um, kind of like a UCF or a Memphis. And it's in a good market. Um, I, I don't think there's a reason they shouldn't be. Um, and I think if uh, he was saying two schools, I think the second school I would pick would probably be SMU, mostly for the same reason. It's, it's in a good market. Um, it's a Texas school, which most Big 12 teams are, or half the Big 12 teams are. Um, and if we were talking new markets, uh, I, I agree that New Orleans would be really cool, but... I don't think Tulane is there as a program uh, that's really ready to move up and compete against some of these Power Five teams on a consistent basis. I don't think they would really recruit um, super well having somebody like LSU and um, having you know Louisiana doesn't really have that many great prospects come out every year. They have a couple of good guys here and there, but um, it's not like a, it's not like a Texas or a Georgia or a Florida where you're having guys come out, tons of guys come out every single year. So um, I think Memphis is one that would be really interesting to me. Uh, being in that southeastern market, Tennessee, um, there's not a lot of teams in Tennessee that are really recruiting the area super well. So you could, I could see Memphis coming in and start to dominate the recruiting there and really turn that team into a, um, a potential, maybe not a powerhouse, but could definitely compete in the Power Five and the Big 12. On to our next question, uh, this one is from at Chad S underscore 529 is who is y'all's top candidate to replace Derek Mason at Vanderbilt? Got nothing. <laughs> you know, so I actually did I actually did a little bit of research on this. You know, the guys that they're looking at right now are 
Scott Cochran and Clark Lee. Clark Lee is the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, and Scott Cochran is the special teams coordinator for Georgia. And uh, for a long time, he was known as the uh, best weight coach in college football. He was the coach for Alabama. Um, he's been there pretty much the entire time Nick Saban's been there. And I've actually met him before, and it's, it's real hard not to want to run through a brick wall when he's your head coach. So um, if I'm picking between those two guys, I would really love to see Co Scott Cochran take over that culture and see what he can do, motivating the guys to actually actually buy into the team. And um, even though you, like the athletic department's not going to be giving them a lot of money to help improve the facilities and help improve uh, your recruiting efforts. Uh, if you got a guy like that, who's really going to like put his all in and change the culture, kind of like how Dan Pittman's done at Arkansas. Um, I think Scott Cochran's a good guy. But if it were up to me, I would pick a guy like Jeff Munkin if I could get a hold of him or Willie Fritz and uh, completely turn that offense into a triple option, bring the triple option to the SEC and, and see what happens because you really need to – you got you to gotta pull something if you're Vanderbilt if you, you're going to expect to compete against some of these teams. You know, I saw the Scott Cochran nugget there, and, you know, I, I think Cochran wants that opportunity. If I'm him, though, I don't think I would want it yet. He was the, the strength and conditioning coach – uh, at Alabama when Saban got to Alabama in 2007, and then he left and went to Georgia just this year. I, I think the hard part is, is it, would he have the, the ability to create a culture down? Absolutely. Does he know what it takes to be a top tier program? Absolutely. Does Scott Cochran have the on-field coaching experience to manage a game that's where I'm like, you know, why don't you get a, a little bit more on-field position coaching experience before you, you go in for this head coaching job? Now, I think that one day he could be a really good head coach. Um, I, I don't think Vandy would be a great place to get your feet wet uh, just because you're going to have to go up against the Georgias, the, the Floridas, the traditionally Tennessees every year and uh you know that, that I don't I don't think you're that that's a job that you really want uh if you're a Scott Cochran. Now a guy that's proven I the I actually went you you said the guy that I, I I had mentioned for South Carolina that I also think could plug into Vandy and win is Jeff Munkin. Uh it, the the last time Vandy had any success was with James Franklin. They had some success with Derek Mason. I think Derek Mason did a phenomenal job for what he had talent wise. But you're just not able to recruit top-tier SEC talent to a school like Vandy, like Lando said. It's like recruiting to Georgia Tech but being in the SEC. Yeah, see, I think guys like Jeff Munk and Willie Fritz, I agree with you. I think but those guys, the triple option, um, I think those would be really good names for them to hire. But I think they're going to want a little bit more money than the Vanderbilt Athletic Department is going to be willing to pay them. Um, not that they're like these huge-named guys, but they're bigger names than – like Scott Cochran or, or Clark Lee. Um, but like like you were saying with Scott Cochran, like he doesn't have a lot of coaching experience, which is why I could see them not going for Scott Cochran, even though that's probably how I would go just because I think they need the culture change. But I, I could see them going with a guy like Clark Lee because he does have that coaching experience. He has 14 years of, of uh, being a coordinator. He started as a, a GA um, actually at Vanderbilt. Um, he played for Vanderbilt. He was a fullback for him. He went to Montgomery Belt. Academy High School, which is actually right down the road from my apartment. I pass it every day going to work. So he's a Nashville guy. Um, he's a Vanderbilt guy, Nashville guy. 
and um, he's got some good coaching experience. He's doing a really good job with Notre Dame's defense. So I have a feeling Key's going to be the guy they end up hiring um, unless they do decide to try and go for like that triple option. But I don't see that being a realistic, um, a real, being something that's actually realistic for them. So it's a tough, it's a tough job to sell on Vandy side too. I mean, and, and coaching hires are a two way street. When when you are a coach and you're going in to take over a program, you want to go somewhere where you know that you you can have a vision. I don't really know what Vandy's vision is for the football program. I mean, you see that in basketball and in baseball, they've had a lot of success, particularly in baseball. Now how they translate that into success in football. Uh, they've got to have a vision. They've got to have some sort of athletic vision. They've got to get those facilities up to date and make it bring those up to SEC standards. Because right now they're, I mean, Georgia Southern facilities are equivalent or better than a lot of Vandy's. I definitely agree with you there. I think the athletic department really just doesn't care that much about Vandy. But uh, we'll go ahead and move on to our next question. Um, it's from at Edwin underscore Cook score 19 and his question is now that the ACC championship is set who are you guys taking Clemson or Notre Dame Clemson because they have they'll have Trevor Lawrence so that's the X factor for that game so I got Clemson not big but it it will be a, a good game but Clemson's gonna pull away yeah that's 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 how I felt about it really from the get-go and I think that how that game turns out is going to be what determines whether or not Notre Dame is even in the in the conversation for staying in that top four. Because, you know, everyone's kind of counting on Alabama to beat Florida. But if Florida beats Alabama and then Clemson beats Notre Dame, there's going to be a big conversation on which four get in, like who's in, who's out. Um, I, I think that Trevor Lawrence being in that game is going to be the X factor. Uh, for, for Clemson, I, I honestly think that with Trevor Lawrence, they win that game by two or three touchdowns because they're, they're going to be able to move the football a little bit better on Notre Dame's defense than they were in that first matchup. And really sometimes offense is your best defense. And that's where Clemson's defense was getting smoked in that, in that first matchup was their, their offense couldn't stay on the field. And then when they would get a drive going, uh, you know, the, the, the defense was gas late and Notre Dame was able to move the ball on them effectively and ultimately win the game. I think Clemson, um, if I'm, if I'm picking right now, I'd probably say Clemson, but I think that Notre Dame has a really, really good chance to win this game. Um, after Notre Dame beat them the first time, as soon as that happened, I went back and watched the game cause I missed it when it was live. And um, I was watching it, and I was like, you know, Clemson played really well. DJ Uanguale <laughs> played a good game and put up some big numbers, but there were definitely some missed opportunities there um, that I know Trevor Lawrence would take advantage of, which is what makes me think that uh, Clemson is really probably going to come into this game and they're going to play a lot better and um, not miss the opportunities that they were missing before. But Notre Dame, I mean, they've proved me wrong multiple times this year. I thought that North Carolina would have a good shot at them, and at least keep it close. Um, they really didn't. Notre Dame really controlled that entire game. So I, I think Notre Dame is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. A lot of people are, are uh, saying that like, even though they've looked good, they still don't have a chance against teams like Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson, who are these like big-time powerhouses, recruit better than teams like Notre Dame. And um, But I think Notre Dame is probably the most balanced team in the country. That's the way they've looked so far, and I think they have a good chance to beat Clemson. Um, but I'd still pick Clemson right now that we'll move on to our next question uh this one is from at taylor sutton 15 
And her question is, who is the most valuable quarterback to his team in all of college football? That, that's, that's Trevor Lawrence because the offense is drastically worse when he's not playing. So Trevor Lawrence all day. I, I, I think it depends on the scope of what you're defining as, you know, the most, the most valuable, because if you're saying, you know, for a nat to compete for a national championship, I would argue Justin Fields is more valuable to Ohio state than Trevor Lawrence is to Clemson, because you take Justin Fields off that Ohio state team. And I don't think that like they, they've still got a lot of dudes that could play, but Justin Fields adds elements to their offense that they wouldn't have without him. And he's a good decision maker, at least in the sense of if you if if you go in to the playoff and you're Clemson and something tried like, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't able to play, you've got a guy who started two games and was went to overtime against who is right now the number two team in the country. So if if you're saying that Trevor Lawrence is the most valuable to his team for a national title, I would argue that that they they were competitive in a game against a a Notre Dame team uh, that that's pretty good with their backup. Now, I, I I did say that I think Trevor Lawrence is a difference in that game, and I and I still stand by that. I think Trevor Lawrence is very important to that Clemson team, and he changes them from being a really good football team to a complete team. So that's uh, I think that I, I personally I think Justin Fields is probably the most important overall to his team's success because of what he does offensively and how dynamic of a player he is. Um, if, yeah, if we're talking about uh, Clemson compared to Ohio State, I agree with you, Justin Fields. Um, I think he's more important to Ohio State than Trevor Lawrence is to Clemson. But I think that. Of all the teams, uh, if we're talking about like top five teams, top four teams, teams are going to be competing for a national championship this year. I think Ian Book is by far the most important to his team because that offense is nothing without Ian Book. The way that he changes the game by escaping pressure in the pocket, extending plays, uh, giving his receivers time to get open, that's that's really what is winning Clemson football games right now. Um, if you watch them at the beginning of the year, they look pretty good, but they really didn't look fantastic when – um, Ian Book really wasn't doing much. He was really just, he was kind of just handing the ball off and making some throws against some teams that really weren't that great. And a lot of people were kind of like, yeah, you know, Notre Dame, they are what they are. They're, they're like this every year. But since that Clemson game, he has taken over that offense. He's throwing for over 300 yards a game. He's uh, doing like extending plays. He's playing really well. I think, in my opinion, I think he should be considered for the Heisman more than he has been. I know we've talked about that a couple of times. Um, I don't know if I think he should win it because of some of the numbers these guys are putting up, like Trask and Mac Jones, but um, I think he's by far the most important. And you got to look at uh, the way that some of these other teams are recruiting as well because Ohio State has Justin Fields. His backup is C.J. Stroud, who was a five-star in last year's class. Same with Clemson. They got D.J. Uangugulele, who was a five-star in last year's class. He was the number one or number two overall quarterback. Number one overall quarterback was – Bryce Young, who is Bama's backup to Mac Jones. So, it like the, all these other teams have really good backups, guys that they're not the same. They're not as good as their starters, like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones um, for this year, but they're still guys that have a lot of talent and that could run that offense pretty well. Um, with Ian Book, he has no backup. His backup last year was Phil Jerkovich, and now he's in Boston College and he's playing just fine. So, um, I think Ian Book is easily the most important quarterback to his team in college football. 
And that's the end of the mailbag. Uh, we are moving on to our pour one out, cutting them off segment. And uh, Lando, you got first. All right. So this week I'm pouring one out for George Russell, who is the driver for uh, the Williams Racing uh, Formula One team. Uh, over the weekend, Lewis Hamilton uh, had a case of the COVID. So George Russell, who is part of the Mercedes uh, driving team as well, uh, filled in for Lewis Hamilton. So um, he did a great job on Sunday, uh, had a, dominated the race, but his team uh, pretty much screwed him out of a win with bad pit strategy and put him back in the field, and uh, he uh, ended up finishing 10th. But uh, it's a big deal because the car that he uh, raced in is actually set uh, for Lewis Hamilton's body size. So uh, George Russell is six uh, feet, one inch tall, and Lewis Hamilton is not even over six foot. So he was too tall to fit into the car, and he had to wear a size uh, smaller shoe just to be able to fit in, inside the car, and he did a great job. He only had two days to prepare to race the car and had a great job uh, racing on Sunday. And this week I'm cutting off the same team that, that he raced for because they pretty much screwed him out of a win after he dominated the entire race. So uh, that's what I'm doing for this weekend. For this week, uh, Matt, what do you have? So I have got to pour one out for my man, Devontae Smith. Uh, dude had an absolute heyday on LSU's defense. Um, you know, I, I I did not realize that him and, and Derek Stingley Jr. were good friends. Apparently they grew up together and they've known each other for a while. But Devontae Smith at one point had seven catches for 213 yards and three touchdowns. And there's just like the visual meme of the Randy Moss game where he had three catches for like 160 yards and three touchdowns. There's just Devontae Smith sitting on the bench, sipping out of his Gatorade cup like, oh, you know, this is just another Saturday for me. Uh, Devontae Smith, and then he has the uh, phenomenal one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Uh, I know LSU's defense is not exactly world-class this year, but Devontae Smith has not really been talked about much for the Heisman at all or even the Belindikoff, and he's just put up stupid numbers this year. So pouring one out for Devontae Smith, what a game. And I am cutting off Auburn High School football. And I don't know if y'all saw this or not. Uh, I've got family that lives in Alabama, so they keep up with the high school football scene there pretty well. Auburn High School uh, plays against Thompson in the state championship game, and this wound up getting some some national attention too. Uh, they play in Bryant-Denny, in which you know just a few days before, the Barners of Auburn University had gotten had, had gotten smoked out. Well, the uh, the Thompson has the ball. They turn the ball over on downs on their own eighteen yard line or own twenty yard line. There's a minute and eighteen seconds left. They're down nine. Thompson is to Auburn. Auburn decides that they're going to play this game to win. So they instead of them just snapping, taking a knee, snapping, taking a knee, snapping, taking a knee, they wanted to run as much clock as possible. So they run everything from a shotgun victory formation, and then they would run run backwards and then take a knee. So come fourth down, they have the ball on their own 50. They go to punt. It's blocked. Thompson takes it to the house for a touchdown. They get the onside kick. Thompson does. They're down two now. There is a 
two horrendous defensive pass interference plays committed by Auburn High School, and Thompson kicks the walk-off field goal to win the state championship in one of the most awful managed games that I could, I've ever even heard of. Like when just it, that that beats even the Falcons meltdown in the Super Bowl of how epic and and small window of opportunity there is to win that game. So shout out to Thompson uh, for for never giving up in that game. But I have got to cut off the Auburn High School football team and in particular their coaches for terrible management in that game. Yeah, the coaching. I I did watch. Uh, I think I watched a John Boy video of that. And uh, they were breaking it down. Absolutely terrible coaching. How do you have a minute and 18 seconds left and a nine-point lead? And my whole thing is that if you're on the 20, just keep taking the knee and then kick another field goal if you have to. You're on the 20-yard line. Run the ball up the middle. Like if you don't, If you're worried about fumbling the ball, take the knee, kick the field goal, and then you go up 12. It was so mismanaged that Thompson's players – thought they legit were going to lose the game. So they were hugging each other on the sideline. You know, they're like, yeah. oh, you know, good game, man. You know, sorry we won't get to play again next year, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, meanwhile, they're, the other team, Auburn, is just completely mismanaging the game and totally gives it away. They should have at least gone for the first down, like any team should, just to secure the victory. You got four downs. You might as well. Yeah. It just – Oh, it baffles me when that happened. I, I was like, I've got, I've got that. That is, they're getting cut off. Like you, you can't be like, I am not a football coach, but you, you can't be that ignorant to know that situation in, in that game. It's that's going to haunt them for years to come. But uh, the keys, you have somebody you're cutting off this week. Yeah. So this week, the story for me is Mormons versus mullets. And uh, I know we touched on this earlier in the show. Number 18, Coastal Carolina, was originally supposed to play Liberty this week. Uh, and then due to COVID, they ended up, uh, Liberty had to back out. So Coastal scheduled number 13, BYU instead. And I really like this move, like I said earlier, because, you know, they, they say, hey, you know, what's going to be one of the things that help us move forward in the rankings? It's going to be ranked wins. So Coastal and BYU are looking at each other saying, this town ain't big enough for the two of us and uh, made the best man win. And there was a lot going on in this game, like we talked about. Basically, defensively, Coastal Carolina was just bullying Zach Wilson all game. I think it was number 94, just had a field day with Zach Wilson. Um, Especially on that interception play, like we talked about, where they just pretty much pancaked him into the ground for 30 seconds or so. And Coastal proved to be the better man. They came out with a dramatic win with a stop on the two-yard line, I believe, um, as time is expiring. So I'm pouring one out for Coastal as they continue to roll, and I'm going to cut off BYU for taking the L. What about you? Who are you pouring one out for? So this week I'm pouring one out for Alex Smith for leading uh, Washington to a win over the undefeated and first-place Steelers. After his gruesome injury he sustained two years ago that many thought was going to be a career-ending injury, um, he he uh, went through a lot to come back, and it's honestly unbelievable that he's walking, let alone winning football games for Washington. So uh, definitely pouring one out for him. And I'm cutting off the Seattle Seahawks. And Russell Wilson, who has really struggled as of late, um, his last couple of games, he's, he, I mean, he's still playing well, but uh, considering at the start of the season, he was the odds-on favorite to win the MVP, and everybody was talking about, like, how has Russell Wilson never won the MVP? How has he been so good, so consistent, and never been in the driver's seat to win it? And uh, the way that he's playing lately, it looks like he's 
pretty much out of that race. Um, I think that's probably going to come down to Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. But um, Seahawks started the year looking like they were going to be a Super Bowl favorite in the NFC. And ever since losing to the Bills, they've looked like a completely different team, especially on offense. Uh, they intend to compete in the playoffs this year and make a run. Um, they got to make good on their Jamal Adams trade, and they need to turn things around. And they need to turn things around fast. Coming off that, we're going to go into our locks of the week. Lando, who's your lock of the week? My lock of the week is going to be Northwestern over Illinois. Uh, Illinois is not very good. Lovey Smith is doing the best he can with the fighting Illini, but at the end of the day, Northwestern is just a better football team. So I have Northwestern over Illinois. Matt? You know, I'm disappointed. Uh, my lock of the week, I was going to pick the Ole Miss Rebels to beat the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, unfortunately, that game has been postponed, so I've changed it. And I am now going with Rutgers. The Scarlet Knights to beat Maryland. Um, Maryland hasn't looked very good recently. The Fighting Shanos of Rutgers have uh, really been playing well this year. Uh, Greg Shiano, shout out to him for the job that he's done coming in there, especially after you know Tennessee fans threw a fit whenever they thought they were going to get him. Uh, looks like he could have been the better of the two options, but uh, I'm going Rutgers over Maryland. Wit, who's your lock of the week? So for my luck of the week, I either go with an upset or I just pick Iowa. That seems to be have been the trend. So I'm picking Iowa this week. They're uh, they're playing in Kinnick Stadium against Wisconsin. Um, I do not think Wisconsin is as good as a football team as we thought they were after week one. Um, after they beat Illinois, we thought this Wisconsin offense was a lot stronger than it has been, or as um, as it has been usually over the past couple of years. But um, I think they have a good defense. But I think Iowa is just just better than Wisconsin. I think they're better coached. Um, I think they're more balanced uh, running the ball, and I think uh, Spencer Petras is going to take advantage of um, Wisconsin's secondary that started to not look as good these past couple weeks um, after that first week against Illinois, and I think Iowa's going to come away with the win. Keys, you got a lock of the week? Yeah, so this week is rivalry week for Georgia Southern fans. It is Georgia Southern versus Appalachian State. Uh, this week, I like the power of Paulson. I'm going to go with Georgia Southern by, we'll go with a touchdown over Crap State. Nice keys, and we will bounce straight off that into our first pick of the week. Uh, we got App State, who is a nine-point favorite, heading into Paulson Stadium to take on our Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, Lando, who are you picking? Uh, last time Georgia Southern played App State and Paulson, that was our last year there, wasn't it, Wit? Yep, that was our that was our last year. All right, yeah, so going with Georgia Southern because last time uh, Georgia Southern uh, played App State at home, we won, and App State was ranked 25th of the country. We stormed the field, and it was freaking awesome. So Georgia Southern by two safeties. You know, I'm actually right with you. Um, I really thought whenever I saw the line that nine points was a lot to give App State, uh, especially with the way that Southern plays in Paulson. I picked against the Eagles last week, and, you know, good for them for proving me wrong. We've had a lot of good productive conversations about the Georgia Southern Eagles in our group this week. Um, I I have thoroughly enjoyed getting into that talk because, you know, I – we're we all the 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 four of us and then our good friend uh, Sacco – and uh, Mark, you know, we, we, we are proud supporters of the Georgia Southern Eagles. 
And because of that, I think the players proved this past weekend that they're playing for Chad Lunsford. Uh, they they like him. They want him to stay in Southern. And for whatever reason, I, I got a feeling that Chad Lunsford, the uh, the offensive coordinator fire, might not have been a bad choice. And uh, maybe that's the spark. Eagles go to victory. I got Eagles by six. Wit. So I found out, um, honestly, right in the middle of the show, I saw a report come up that Shy Wirtz will not be playing in this game. Justin Tomlin will be the starting quarterback once again. Um, and obviously last week that didn't end up being a problem against FAU. But, you know, App, State, App State's a tougher team than FAU. And um, even though they're not that team they usually are in the Sun Belt, that number one team, they've had a really good year. But that being said, I'm picking Georgia Southern because Georgia Southern does not lose in Paulson Stadium. The power of Paulson is real. Georgia Southern is 28-8 and eight at home since becoming a part of the Sun Belt in 2014. And most of the years where those losses came about were the two years that we had Tyson Summers, which were just two just horrid years. You honestly could just throw them away because they were a complete mistake. So Southern doesn't lose at home. I'm going to pick the Eagles. I think they're going to win by three. You know, while we're, while, since you mentioned it, we, we should go ahead and ban the name Tyson Summers from this podcast. That should be like the Lord Voldemort, he who shall not be named. Yeah, can you just bleep that out, Keys, whenever we say <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> but up next, we have two Pac-12 games. The first one is Washington at Oregon. Um, neither one of these teams are ranked after both being ranked last week. Uh, Oregon is a five-point favorite at home. And uh, Lando, who are you picking? I got Washington, Matt. You know, Oregon, uh, they, they've kind of been up against it this year. They've had some opt-outs. Uh, if this game was being played with fans, I, I don't think it would be a question that Oregon would win. Uh, I think it's going to be a really close game. Oregon coming off back-to-back losses. So I'm going to go uh, – I'm, I'm going with the Ducks this week. I think Mario Cristobal gets the guys rolling. Uh, Washington, I think that they're a pretty decent football team, but but I'm going to go Oregon by two. Close one. Yeah, so this is a huge game for both of these teams. Uh, they're both coming off really bad losses. Um, this one was a tough one for me when I was looking at it this week, but I'm going to go with Oregon because uh, they're playing at home, and uh, I think they're going in by six. Um, I think this is the game that Oregon finally starts to turn it around and uh, get some of their younger guys who are having to step up, um, especially on defense, after – all these guys have been opting out uh, before the season started. Um, I think they finally turn around and start to look like the team that we thought Oregon was going to be uh, from the beginning of the year. And uh, we'll move on to our second Pac-12 game of the week. We have number 15, USC, um, who is only a three-and-a-half-point favorite heading into the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA. Uh, UCLA has been playing some really good football recently. Lando, who are you picking? Yeah, like you said, UCLA is trending upward. Uh, Chip Kelly has a team playing really well, so I got UCLA winning this game by five points. Matt. Wow. I I thought I was going to be the only one that picked UCLA. Um, This is a rivalry game, and USC, with with their week off not having played a game, I think that that's going to come back to bite them. UCLA is playing good football um, you know, sometimes bye weeks will help you out. Sometimes bye weeks hurt you. And I think in the case of USC, it's going to hurt them. And I think in the case of UCLA playing, it's going to help them. They're getting in a rhythm. I've got UCLA in this one by three. Wit. Well, guys, a few weeks ago, we had a question about when Chip Kelly will be fired from UCLA. Since that question, they've lost Oregon by three. They've beaten Arizona by three possessions. And they've upset Herm Edwards 
Arizona State in Temple. Uh, this team is absolutely rolling right now, but I think USC is just too good of a team, uh, especially on offense. This will be the best USC-UCLA game we've seen in a long time, and I think uh, the Trojans are going to hold on and win the game by four. And next up, we have a Big 12 game. Uh, we're picking Lando Sooners this week. We got the number 11 Oklahoma Sooners, 11-point favorite, heading into Morgantown to take on West Virginia. Lando, who are you picking? Yeah, this game was supposed to be uh, played two weeks ago, but got postponed till this weekend. Uh, it's going to be cold in West Virginia, but I think Oklahoma's defense is going to prove to be really, really trending upward and really good this year. So Oklahoma's defense is going to win this game. I got Oklahoma about 10. Matt, who you got? You know, uh, West Virginia, <clears throat> a couple years ago, they were a team that was trending upward when they had Will Greer. They were sort of in that national can, uh, national title contender conversation. Like, are they real? Are they fake? They've got all the pieces. And they've they've really fallen downhill over the past couple of years. Um, I, I like West Virginia as a team. I, th- I think that burning couches is pretty cool. But Boomer Sooner this weekend, I think that, that Oklahoma wins by 14. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is a completely different team than than uh, we saw at the beginning of the year. And I think West Virginia is really starting to fall off as they start to face the tougher competition in the Big 12. Um, I'm going to pick Oklahoma, and I think they're going to win this game by 30. And with that, we'll move on to our two SEC games of the week. Uh, our first game is um, it's a newly ranked versus ranked matchup uh, coming off of tonight's new rankings. Uh, we have the number nine Georgia Bulldogs. They are 13-point favorite heading into Columbia, Missouri to take on the Tigers, who are now ranked number 25. Lando, who are you picking? It's going to be cold up there in mid-central Missouri in Columbia. So I'm going M-I-Z-Z-O-U, Missouri Tigers, baby. Wow. Wow. You know, I will say this. Since Missouri has come into the SEC East, they've been one of those teams that it doesn't matter how good Georgia is. Uh, or how bad they are, they've always seemed to compete pretty well with with Georgia. Uh, this year, I think that'll be a little bit different. I think Missouri is going to come out and they're going to give it their best shot. Uh, but I think Georgia is going to pull away. I don't think that Georgia is going to cover. I've got Georgia by ten, though. Yeah. So if Stetson Bennett was still the quarterback of this team, uh, I'd be a little bit more worried than I am. But I'm not worried. Missouri has played much better since getting blown out by Tennessee in Week Two especially in the run game with Tyler Batty and Larry Roundtree. Um, and even though Georgia's defense is banged up and has struggled against some pass-happy pass teams this year, I think this is still the best defense in the SEC, especially against the run game. So uh, look for Munkin and Kirby to get some younger guys involved in the offense this week, like Arian Smith and Dejan Edwards, uh, as we saw both of them kind of start to break out a little bit last week against South Carolina. Um, but I'm taking Georgia. I think they win by four touchdowns. Oh, my God. Four touchdowns, really? <laughs> Four touchdowns? Four that's, touchdowns. That's flat out yes, disrespectful. Sir. All right, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm really, I'm actually really hoping Missouri wins this game for, for my dad's sake, for because because for, for Missouri to beat LSU and Missouri and uh, and Georgia in the same year, same season, that'd be awesome for him. Yeah, that'd be real cool for your dad, but it it put me into a pit of despair. So I don't I don't know if I'd be able to handle that. <laughs> and, uh, but we'll move on to our our second SEC game of the week. We have a rivalry game who. Uh, last year was probably one of the better games of the year, but this year 
um, is really losing its luster with the way that LSU has been performing. We got LSU heading into the swamp, taking on number six, Florida. Florida is a 24 point favorite. Lando, you got first pick. Flo Rida. That's a rapper. Yeah, Florida, LSU is absolutely depleted mentally. Uh, I know they were depleted from talent based off of how good they were last year. I think the biggest loss overall for them was losing Joe Brady to the Carolina Panthers. Coach Orgeron, I've never been a big fan of the guy personally, but even him on the sidelines, he looks like a man that's worried about his job. Florida in this one, and it ain't close. Uh, So simply enough, this LSU defense couldn't stop a Starship food delivery robot let alone one of the best offenses in the country. So uh, I think Trask has another huge game against Stingley in the LSU secondary. I'm going to take Florida. I think they win this game by at least 30 points. And finally, we have our game of the week, uh, ACC game. Uh, We have number 17, North Carolina, uh, taking on number 10, Miami. Miami is a three and a half point favorite. Lando, who you got? Yeah, before the show, I was looking at uh, all the teams that Miami has beaten this year. And they have not looked impressive at all beating some of these teams. So I got North Carolina winning this game by by 14. Because North Carolina is a really good football team. And Miami, they just really haven't proved themselves in my opinion. So I got North Carolina. Yeah, I'm going Tar Heels. Surprisingly, Miami seems to be favored in in so many different categories. I I personally think that the one area that Miami is going to push North Carolina to the brink on is I don't think that North Carolina's defense is very good. They've played better recently, uh, but Miami uh, and and Miami offensively is is pretty good. I think Derrick King has been uh, a huge pickup for them this year, uh, showing Manny Diaz might be a pretty daggum all right coach. and he's he's probably going to be the future of Miami. Uh, they they are still eight and one. They win in games when they're supposed to. But this week, I think this is this is uh, Mac Brown going back retro and pulling off a, a, a I guess quote unquote upset win over Miami. Uh, Tar Heels by seven. Wit. So I think this will be the most competitive game of the weekend. Um, Sam Howell going up against this tough Miami defense. Um, I think it'll be a treat. Uh, but you guys are right, Miami has struggled against some teams that I really just don't think are that good. Um, They struggled against NC State. They only beat them by three. They struggled against Virginia. They barely beat them. I think they beat them by six. And um, Virginia Tech, they only beat Virginia Tech by one. So all these, like, and all those teams just to me are just teams that really aren't that good this year. And North Carolina, even though they've lost some really bad games, like their loss to Florida State, they have a really, really, really good offense. Um, I compare them a lot to Ole Miss. I think they have a really great offense. They have a lot of weapons, but their defense is just awful. So um, I think that North Carolina is going to win this game. Um, I think Sam Howell is going to be the reason they win this game. But I think De'Aaron King is going to put up some big numbers as well. Um, and I think it's going to be close. I think North Carolina is going to win the game by five. Nice. What are you guys doing this weekend? Honestly, I really don't know. Uh, I think I might end up having another little chill weekend here. Uh, you know, maybe smoke some meat. It's it's getting cold outside, but the grill don't stop down here in the south. Normally for the Arkansas game, I smoke a butt because it's time to smoke some hogs. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see. I'll watch the Alabama game. It's noon kickoff, which I hate noon kickoffs. 
Uh, at least it's not 8 p.m., so I can get a good buzz on and enjoy the uh, the late games. Uh, to be honest, I have no idea what I'm doing this weekend. I have no plans yet. Um, I know it's uh, one of my good friend's birthdays here, Chase Blanket. Uh, she just turned 23, I'm pretty sure. Um, so I'm sure we might, we'll probably go out for her birthday. Um, or I hope we do because um, this will be my last weekend in Nashville for the next couple of weeks. I'll be going home. Uh, to Kennesaw, Georgia, hopefully to see you guys, uh, so I won't be here for a while. But um, it's been a while since I've gotten to go to Valentine's for a Georgia game. Last time I was there for was for the Florida game, which is the Georgia bar here, if uh, you guys haven't heard me say that before. So I'm going to tr- try and go there um, if it doesn't interfere with the uh, birthday plans we have for this weekend for my friend, and uh, hopefully enjoying a Georgia win against Missouri. I might try to go to the Georgia Southern App State game, actually. I haven't decided yet, but that could be a good game. Gah, I would do anything to be able to go down to Statesboro and watch that game. I wish I was closer, to be honest. I would go to that game if I had the opportunity, without a doubt. ATK live from the George Southern game this week. The most fun I've ever had at a football game was uh, the game Lana was actually talking about when we picked the game was that Georgia Southern App State game two years ago when App State was ranked number 25. They came into Paulson Stadium and we uh, we blew them out. We beat them real bad. And we got to rush the field after the game. And uh, I was sitting up in the beer garden, so I was getting free drinks throughout the entire game. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, that game that game was awesome. It was like it was cold and like kind of rainy outside. And uh, we stormed the field, and uh, I, I I went straight to the blue room after that. And dude, cover was twenty dollars, man. I can't believe you paid twenty dollar cover. Being you, listen, 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 listen. That was that was a night that you had you had to you had to be a blue room that night. So whatever the cover was, I would have paid it because you had to had to, you had to go to a blue room that night. Oh yeah, yeah. My so my uh my last Ab State home game was uh 2014. God, I'm I'm old. Uh, but uh, yeah. So they they it, the ironic thing about this was that the the university thought it would be a good idea, the athletic department thought it would be a good idea to give us these like round circular academic eagle logos to hold up in the air, you know, whenever the, anything would happen. Literally first Georgia Southern touchdown, those damn things became frisbees and we were just chunking them onto the field and it was an absolute blast. Uh, everybody was throwing them on the field, got flipped off by a couple of state players. Nobody cared. It was a Thursday night game in Statesboro. It was the first year being in the Sun Belt. So it was, uh, and it was early in the year. It was like in September. So it was like a really, it was like a nice weather night game in Statesboro, Georgia. Beautiful night for a rivalry game. Southern ended up winning by like 20. It was, it wasn't even close. Uh, that was that was a good time, and then we ended up going over to uh, a a good friend of ours' houses after the game, and ended up staying up to like four thirty in the morning, just hanging out and celebrating. It was good times. Lando, after that Georgia Southern upset went over App State, I literally went home and fell asleep. We I had been party, but I partied before before that game happened. I was out. We I was at the um, old fraternity house, hanging out with some of the guys. Well, like. So early, like I think I got out there maybe around nine a.m., ten a.m., and started drinking around then. Like it was, it was absolutely crazy. So I'd been going hard all day, but when that game was over, we went back, and I know like me and uh, the people I went to the game with talked about going out and uh, meeting up with some people at Blue Room. We heard about that twenty dollar cover, 
and everyone else bailed. And I was like, oh man, but I still want to go. And I went back and hung out with them and tried to drink a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go meet up with, uh, with some people there. And, uh, probably, I, I probably was talking to you. I was like, probably going to go try and find Lando and you were probably with Curly. But, uh, I ended up laying down and, and next thing I knew I was passed out. So, um, I'm, I, I'm still kind of disappointed. I feel like uh, I really missed out on an opportunity to uh, enjoy that win a little bit more than I got to, but I'm still glad I was there for it. It was really my senior year in high school. Uh, I, I grew up 30 minutes away from Georgia Southern. So, uh, me and one of my friends that we knew we were going to go there. A lot of people from my hometown went there. We decided that we were going to go to the App State Georgia Southern game in 2010. And like, this is whenever I realized like this was that, that we were, I was going to have a fun, uh, career as a college football fan at Georgia Southern. So it was my senior year of high school. We're going, we go toward the university, did all that fun stuff, go to the App State Georgia Southern game. And this is when they were both still FCS opponents. App State's number one in the country uh, for FCS. Georgia Southern was like four and four coming to the game, just pretty mediocre team. And uh, out of nowhere, Georgia Southern, power Paulson, baby, upset in overtime, beats number one App State. Everyone rushes the field. Awesome time. So I've had some really good App State, Georgia Southern memories. Uh, you know, and then I've also witness some uh some beatdowns that were not in our favor you know hopefully if i do get to go they uh they won't disappoint us this time well guys that's our show thank you for listening as always uh we appreciate it please give us a follow on instagram at around the keg and on twitter at around the keg pod send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show and we'll be happy to include as much as we can next week i hope you guys have a great week see y'all